Now let us prepare to hear God's word from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 43. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. So when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. The second lesson comes from the 10th chapter of Mark, beginning with verse 32. Hear the word of God. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him spit upon him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. And again, this is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Just a word of explanation why I'm not wearing a clerical robe. Maybe you were wondering, I don't know, but I feel half naked without the robe. Uh, When I retired, I took my two robes to Columbia Seminary and gave them to uh, you by some young seminarian so he doesn't have to buy a robe. And uh, I have to tell you that when you're a substitute preacher, you don't know what to expect, and I don't know what to expect, whether you'll be nice or not, whether I will be good or not. So it's a very iffy situation. Uh, I recall that uh, back in the church at Wilmington Island, I just parked my car and was walking into my office, and a mama with a little girl uh, was walking by place, and she said, look, Mama, there's our creature. (laughs) So in some sense, I'm the creature of the day. But I am reminded of that young seminarian who uh, was asked to preach at his home church by the senior minister. And uh, he accepted the invitation, and he was, but he was very nervous, and he studied as hard as he could and prepared as hard as he could until the moment came when he stood in the pulpit of 
Dr. Johnson. And at that moment, he got an inspiration. He looked up. There was a balcony, and there was a round window pane up there. And one of the window panes had been broken, and a piece of cardboard had been put in its place as a substitute for the window pane. And so he said, I am as inadequate to be standing in this pulpit as that cardboard on that window pane. So he began to preach, and he did as best as he could. And when it was all over, he took the customary walk to the back of the church and the people, talked to him and thanked him until one dear lady got his hands and patted his hands, and she said, my dear boy, you don't have a thing to worry about. You're a real pain. Well, after high school in East Los Angeles, California, I was still courting Esther and taking flying lessons at the same time. If that sounds like she kept me up in the air, you're right. Well, the airport was not far away from her house, and I would fly over and gun the engine until she or her father came out. If Esther came out in the backyard, I would tip my wings. If her father came out, I would turn the aircraft into the sun and climb another thousand feet, <laughs> get as far as I could. Drove her dad crazy. But a student pilot stays scared. And my biggest scare came when I experienced my first spin. The instructor uh, seated behind me explained the spin two times. Okay, stick back, stall, full opposite rudder and aileron. The nose is going to fall and point down and spin. Now to recover, push the stick forward. Deepen the dive and bring your rudder and aileron level. Understand? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to put it in the spin and you recover. Got it? Yeah. Up went the nose. Now, an airplane out of control will make your hair stand up. The earth comes into view spinning just like in the movies. And I froze, my eyes wide. Put the stick forward, he yelled into my ear, right here. I thought, forward? Well, I finally did it. I don't know how, but I did. This morning, I'm talking about fear. One day, one hour, one moment, everything is fine. And then suddenly something happens and you feel threatened for something. And we either run or we hide or we fight. But before all that happens, our body physically reacts to the fear. Heart, brain, lungs, muscles go into action. All have to have blood from the stomach. The heart rate rises, 
Muscles get ready for action. The bronchial tubes widen for more air. The liver releases sugar. We sweat so that if there's an assailant, he'll slide off. We sweat to cool the muscles that are already contracting. And the lenses of the eye flatten to improve vision to see the danger that's coming. Eyelids lift and the pupils dilate, giving us a look of astonishment. We're afraid, and we either run or hide or fight. So when we are afraid that our life is being threatened and danger is intimate, we are afraid when we are faced with loss of support. Maybe we're afraid at the moment of losing our job. We're afraid that our marriage is crumbling. We are afraid that our health is leaving us. We are afraid after the death of a spouse, what are we going to do? How are we going to live? You fear even sometimes of losing your identity. Who are you now without the job? Who are you when you're not a husband? Who are you? And you know, when children leave us, when you're going out, they insist on money. Well, where are you going? When are you coming back? Who are you going with? They're, they're fearful of losing their parents even for few hours. And a child learns to learn, learns to fear real early. Loud noises. A baby shakes when there's a loud noise in the house. Or there is a, it's dark or there are shadows or strangers. How often have I seen a little child with a mother at the post office? And I like the children, so I smile at the child and look up and they hide, run behind the mother's skirts I'm a stranger. They don't trust me, don't know me. But on the other hand, uh, fear is also good. A healthy fear can save your life. A healthy fear can keep you from making a big mistake. But fear can also corrupt you. In order to get out of something, you may do something wrong. In order to save your neck, fear can corrupt you into doing something you know you should not be doing. So from childhood until the day we die, we're subject to this thing we call fear. Perhaps that's why the Bible is very frank on the subject of fear. For example, Adam, reacting to what he has done, says, I was afraid and I hid myself. Abraham fears for his life, so he instructs Sarah, his wife, tell Pharaoh, you are my sister, so you won't kill me, corrupting himself by fear. The Bible, interestingly enough, has three words for love, only two for faith, five for hope, but 19 distinct words for fear. They come in all kinds of directions. And that's what kind of leaped out of the text for me, the gospel lesson that I read. Fear is in that lesson. Jesus is leaving Galilee, the safe place. And he's going to turn to Jerusalem. And as he says, certain death 
And then there's this phrase, and he walked ahead of the disciples. Just picture that for a moment. They're all afraid. And he's alone walking ahead of them. I'll come back to that in a minute. And so they're, they follow and they're afraid. That's that word again. The heart beating. Bronchial tubes are wide open. They're taking in oxygen. Their hands are clammy because they know they're walking into danger with him. So throughout the days of the last week of our Lord's life, the days that we always call Lent, fear is everywhere. And all the four gospel writers take note of it. People are all afraid of what may possibly happen. The disciples are afraid, we know that. They're not supermen. Judas sells out his Lord for money to get out of a jam. The others fear the Pharisees and the scribes. It's right in the text. They are, they are afraid that if their dream of a Messiah who will make everything right will be dashed if something happens to him. They fear for their lives. But you know, they fear supremely for him. Because if they lose him, what? What's left if they lose him? So when we, they come to arrest Jesus in Gethsemane, Peter takes a sword and cuts off the ear of one of, the, of one of them. And Peter is threatened, you see. His main support in life is about to be taken from him. And in fear, he fights for his own survival. And seeing that the situation is hopeless, he does a second thing in fear. He runs and he hides. To save his neck, he lies and denies and swears that he does not know Jesus, that Jesus is no friend of his. Peter is afraid for his life and he will do anything, even denying what is true, even denying his master. And like a swimmer drowning, he will push down the one who comes to rescue him. They all fled in fear. Not only them, but the Pharisees are afraid too. Because if they are wrong, and he's right, they will have to change their thinking and adopt his views about God and about man, about the nation, about theology, about the scriptures. They are afraid of losing their position of power, of managing people for their own sake. They said, if Jesus has his way, then the Romans will come and remove us, we can allow our place to be taken. They f and they also fear the crowds. What are they going to do? Pilate is afraid. He wants to keep his job. He wants to remain Caesar's friend. And for political reasons, he cannot afford to let matters get out of hand. Never mind justice. Never mind innocence, never mind truth. In fear, he abandons the oath he swore to uphold. Fear, read this whole section again, and 
that last week of our Lord's life, fear is everywhere. And you'll discover this, that everyone is afraid. The Jews, Romans, disciples, Pilate's wife, who cannot even sleep. Everybody is losing control, abandoning principle, morality, truth, and justice. Above all, the disciples are afraid of losing their master and friend. Everyone takes flight of their senses, except one. Now, they tell us that a small minority in every generation is relatively fearless. Some say 3 to 5% of the population. And we really love and are proud of this 3 to 5% because they are the adventurers. They are the pioneers. They're the ones that go ahead of everybody else. You know, I thought if it's one thing for uh, the Wright brothers to create the first airplane, it's altogether another thing to get somebody to fly it. And I suppose many pilots in the early days could take that first rocket ship miles into space. But it takes someone like Chuck Yeager to take the controls when it flames out and plummets to the earth out of control and manage to land it. It takes people like the astronauts to conquer space while the scientists and the engineers who designed that vehicle sit safely before monitors and a television and watch them do it. So our text reads again, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. Jesus goes first. Ahead. And that's where he always will be. As the psalmist said, he leadeth me. But he's out there not for himself, but for the likes of us. He was ahead in his knowledge of God the Father. He was ahead in how he understood the meaning of suffering. He was ahead going into death and, and in resurrection. But Jesus of Nazareth, the man, is no superman. He was a man. And everything in that last week of his life is real. And so he is wounded for his disciples as they drop him and run away. And he struggles in Gethsemane. Let this cup pass from me. And in the garden, he gives his only expression that describes his condition. And the word is not fear, but this. I am extremely sorrowful. And Jesus does things in Passion Week that would make us sweat with fear. He faces arrest alone. A wild mob alone. A squad of coarse, sadistic soldiers who torture him alone. He endures that crucifixion. He is all alone, and he is the only man in that entire week who is never beaten 
because no one has made him afraid. Disciples are swayed from their loyalty to him. The leaders are swayed by their need to survive. Pilate is swayed from justice to be politically correct. What am I saying? You have a master who is never going to run and leave you alone when you're afraid. Jesus is the man who cannot be swayed from his, the truth, who cannot be swayed from a promise that he makes, a vow that he makes, or his loyalty to you who trust in him. So that in every fearful situation, you can depend on him, on what he says and what he will do. So if your life ever goes into a spin, listen to him. Even if it means pushing the stick forward. As I did so long ago. Because when you do that. The plane is going to come up. So the reality of who he is. Is on the other side of this question of fear. There are some people in the Bible who discovered the reality of his presence. Listen to that wonderful, beautiful psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. Isaiah writes, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you, for I am the Lord your God. You can go through anything with him because he will never run away. Never. Uh, some years ago, uh, I was in Atlanta with Cozy, or Cosette, our daughter. She was a flight attendant at that time. And she would always, when I went up to visit her, she would always want me to drive the car. Because the first thing I would do is I'd turn on ignition and see that the car was nearly empty of gas. <laughs> so I would say, Cozy, there's no gas in this car. She'd say, I know. <laughs> so we stopped at a gas station on Ponce de Leon. And I stopped to put gas in there and uh, check the oil. And the hood was up. And Cozy and I were standing with the attendant. And I heard loud voices coming from the street corner. I looked in the bus stop and saw two men. One was loudly abusing and cursing the other and making threatening gestures as if to hurt him. I wanted to look the other way. Now let me preface what I'm about to say and confess to you that I am a first-class scaredy-cat with honors. <laughs> In all honesty, what I did, I did because Cozy was with me. And I did not want her to think that her father was afraid. She almost got me killed. 
So with my heart beating and my bronchial tubes wide open, I walked to the corner and got between the two men. And I took the arm of the man that was being threatened and began walking him back to the station office. He was as frightened as I was. And as we walked, the man followed behind us, screaming curses and expletives. At any moment, I expected a blow to fall on my head, on my shoulder, on my back, on my neck. At any moment, that's what I thought was going to happen. But I took the man into the gas station office and turned and walked back to the car, not looking to see if the man was following us, hoping he would go away. And he did. I walked back to the car and put my hands on the fender. I was trembling with fear. I held on, not wanting Cozy to see her father was afraid. I mentioned that moment to say this to you. You have a Savior who does not run. You have a Savior who doesn't tremble. And whenever you are in a fearful situation, remember who's next to you. Remember who died for you. Remember your Savior. Remember the head of the church. And remember, he somehow manages to go ahead of us. Preparing the way. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen.